So now on to, on to Philippians. So the last, last couple of weeks, we've been in Philippians chapter 2. And as, as uh, Sam Waltman mentioned two weeks ago, as he was discussing the first 11 verses of Philippians 2, now there, there's kind of a capstone verse in there, and that's verse 3, where Paul makes the comment, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Uh, an interesting verse, and Sam made the comment uh, where preference turns to deference, right? Because we defer to the others. And, and this particular verse has been a verse that's been commonly discussed in the Bjorkas household over the years. As, uh, as we think about, okay, so how do we relate to each other? How do we relate to those outside of, of the family? And then also, especially during the past 16 months, you know, how, do we, how do we show care? How do we say to ourselves, how do we think of others better than ourselves as it applies to what's been going on in our society, in our community, in, in all aspects of what we do for the past 16 months? How can we think of others better than ourselves? But then as Mike Henry worked through the middle verses of the chapter last week, now he, he talked about working, right? He talked about doing the things, about acting, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's not enough to think about others better than ourselves, but we have to act, right? We have to be obedient, just as we all were in, from a stewardship perspective, so too in all things, right? We, we need to be obedient to what Christ has for us. In, in uh, just another way to think about it, in some behavioral and management consultancy circles, they speak of be, no, do, right? Be, no, and do. So it's not enough to be, right? You got, that doesn't do you anything or do you a whole lot of good. It's not enough to know unless you act. So be, no, do. So in a sense, Paul is saying here to the Philippians church, you, know, you got to know this. You have to have the mind of Christ. But at the same time, that's not good enough because that won't get you where you need to need to be you need to act so now this week we're going to finish out chapter 2 of Philippians so if you turn with me in your Bible or if you turn with me whatever particular device or whatever it is that you use for your your personal biblical reference uh, please uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 and we'll start with verse 19 verse 19 I hope in the Lord Jesus, now again, this is Paul writing to the Philippian church, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my needs, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, 
But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So pray with me. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for your faithfulness and your sovereignty in working in each one of our lives. And I pray that as we look at these verses and as, uh, as, as I, I, I speak to, to help me and help us understand, I pray that my words would not get in the way of the message that you have for each and every one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I don't know how many of you are collegiate softball fans. I know that uh, if Debbie Kibbe were in the house, she would be all over that comment, uh, as she's a, a, a very robust collegiate softball fan. But this was an interesting year for uh, collegiate softball, as it is for a number of sports, both at the high school, college, and even professional level. But if you weren't caught following college softball this year, you missed something. And uh, I know that there are a few of us, but the Oklahoma Sooners had a very interesting softball season this year. They, uh, they entered the NCAA tournament this spring with a 45-2 record. And as a matter of fact, they were placed with the number one seed. And so this team that had played incredibly all year was deemed to be the, not, the best team in the country when the tournament came around, and they were, were placed as the number one seed. They, they moved very quickly and swept their way through the regional part of the tournament, through the super regional part of the tournament. And of course, the winners of the super regionals go on to Oklahoma City for the, the Women's College World Series. And Oklahoma, again, went with the, uh, the number one seed, and they were seeded against an unseeded team because only the top 16 teams are seeded in the tournament. And this little school in Virginia called James Madison University had played outstanding softball, and they had, they had beaten the host of their regional tournament. They had beaten the host of their, their super regional tournament, and here they were, seated opposite the number one team in the nation to begin the Women's College World Series. Well, you know, you, you look at this and say, okay, what's well, a foregone conclusion, right? So you look at this team that has played incredibly well against this, I'll call it an upstart team in JME. But then a funny thing happened, right? For the second time in NCAA history, the number one seed in the tournament was defeated in the first game of the Women's College World Series. So now this team, the Oklahoma Sooners, found themselves having to play their way out of the loser's bracket in order to have the opportunity to go on and win a national title. So that, and that's a task, because you end up having to play an extra game, you have to, you know, to play up to all, all these different teams that otherwise they wouldn't have to have seen. But they did that, and they got back to the point where they, they had to beat JMU twice again to advance to the final, because it's a double elimination tournament, and JMU had not Surprisingly, they became the first. JMU became the first team in tournament history to win 
their first two games, and so they actually went into the, the bracket uh, final. So the Sooners now had to beat JMU twice, which they did, which then you know, gave them the privilege to play the Florida State Seminoles for the national title. So what happened in the first of those three games? The Sooners lost again, right? The Seminoles came out victorious. Now another hole, and the Sooners had to dig themselves out of that hole. And they did. They went on and they won the final uh, two games of the tournament and became the, the NCAA national champions. Along the way, this team, this team set 23 NCAA records and set 26 program and conference records. But it wasn't the individuals that alone could have done this, right? We all know that. It, it was the team. And we saw that in their two losses in the College World Series. You know, it, the team was not playing as a team. Uh, so, so what? So why am, I, why am I telling the story? Well, as we look at these verses to close out chapter 2 in Philippians, we see Paul talking about Timothy. We see Paul talking about Epaphroditus. And he's looking at these himself and these other two individuals with their strengths. They all have different strengths. They all come from different heritages. They all have different, different things that they're good at. They all have different backgrounds. And he uses them as he serves his ministry of serving the church at Philippi as he's writing this letter and, of course, things that happen after this letter. So, so just like with the Sooners, it's only when, when the team is playing as a team that even though they have incredible talent on their team, it's only when they're playing as a team that they can be su successful. So too with Paul. And, and we'll talk more. It's the same, same thing for us today here in this, this body of believers we call Redeemer. It's only as a team that we can be as successful as God wants us to be, as we each bring our individual gifts to bear. So let's take a closer look. Let's take a closer look. And in, in, in verse 19, Paul starts with Timothy as he's talking about uh, how he's going to, at this point, help the Philippians. And as we look at Timothy, we think, about, oh, so who was this guy? Who was this guy? Well, Timothy plays pretty prominently in the New Testament, especially as, as we look at Paul's letters and how Paul has approached and described Timothy. Uh, as if we look in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, we see a little bit about how Timothy grabbed onto his initial thoughts, if you will, on Christianity. Because we see in, in verse 5 of chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, I am reminded, this is Paul writing, as he's writing to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. It is clear that we have an impact on those around us, and as parents, as grandparents, we have, we have a, a special impact on those around us. And Paul saw that the faith that had been planted, the seed that had been planted, and indeed watered and grown by by uh, Timothy's mother Eunice and grandmother Lois had gotten him in part to where he was today. So that's a little bit about Timothy. We can look more at Timothy 
because you know that's kind of his roots and kind of his early growth. But if we we look at at um, verse two of Second Timothy chapter one, we, we see Paul referring to Timothy in a way that gives us a little more insight into the relationship that Paul and Timothy had. Because in verse two of Second Timothy chapter one, Paul says to Tim to Timothy, my beloved child. Some of your translations may say, my beloved son. So Paul had approached Timothy as his son. And you could think of it as a discipleship sort of relationship as well. But he, he approached Timothy as his son, as his child, as he sought to teach him and train him and move him along on his path of, of, of uh, spiritual maturity. Then, let's look one more time. If, if we look into the, the book of Acts, as we first see Timothy's name mentioned, it's in Acts chapter 16. And uh, Paul comes, in a second missionary journey, comes to Derby and Lystra. Right? So he's, as he's traveling around, he comes to Derby and Lystra. And there, as recorded in, in Acts 16.1, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer and his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So what do we see about Timothy here? Well, we see that his mother was, was a, a Jew and his father was a Gentile. But then something more important that we see, and that is that as he was part of this fellowship in Derby and Lystra, he wasn't just sitting back and you know, being a wallflower or whatever it might be, right? He, he was involved because, because we see he was spoken of by the brothers. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So he had built a reputation of someone who was engaged and involved. Otherwise, this would not be said of him. And of course, what happened next? Right? What happened next is that Paul, based on this and based on some other things, chose Timothy to be his traveling partner as he, as he moved on through his uh, missionary journey going forward from there. And that's part of the reason that we see Timothy playing such a prominent role in the New Testament as it pertains to Paul. But, but we're going to look now a little closer at what we see in Philippians chapter 2, but we see Timothy as being a great example, based on what's said of him, of having the mind of Christ, but then also acting on it. Right? So not only did he know what Christ wanted him to do, he acted on it as well. So, so let's look at, at um, the first couple of verses here now in um, this section of Philippians 2. And one of the things that we'll see and that we'll watch for here is Timothy having a servant's mind. So I already made the comment that he had the mind of Christ. A servant's mind. So Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare. For they, that is, people other than Timothy, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So what does Paul say of Timothy? He says that he has this genuine concern. So I think about the church at Rome. Again, Paul's in prison in Rome, but there's also a church in Rome. We see 
uh, as Paul closes out the, the book of Romans, I mean, he names 26 people. And there certainly are more than that, whether it's hundreds or thousands, there's certainly more than that. But notice that, that Paul says, they all seek their own interests and that there's no one like Timothy. Kind of a sad commentary that of all the people, all the Christians in the church in Rome, they were all seeking their, their own interests. It's interesting, back in chapter one, uh, Paul wrote in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So verse one of, I'm sorry, verse 21 of chapter one, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Contrast that with verse 21 of chapter two. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Warren Wiersbe once made the comment that we all, as Christians, either live in Philippians 1.21 or Philippians 2.21. So either we are, either we are uh, living in a way to show that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, or we're all seeking our own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. May it be that it's said of each one of us and said of Redeemer Community Church that we are living in chapter 1, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, and not the other kind, and not the other kind. It's a convicting thought. But clearly, Paul sees in Timothy, Paul sees in Timothy, having, having spent time with him up to this point, that he has a servant's mind and that he has a genuine concern he cares for the people around him, the people he's serving, including, including the people at, at Philippi. Timothy also has not only a servant's mind, but a servant's training. If you look at verse 22, Paul says, but you know Timothy's proven work, for as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So here, here's where Paul is, is referring to Timothy as his son, that just like a father trains a son, so too Paul was training Timothy along the way. Along the way. And, and we see, we saw back in, in Acts uh, chapter 16 where Timothy was acting for the benefit of others back in Derby and Lystra. And, and we also see in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, and this is the classic text as, uh, that, that a lot of churches use as they look at church leadership, right? So just as, as Paul didn't jump into Derby and Lystra and say, I want Timothy, he depended on Timothy's reputation to guide him. And as we've already said, you know, the men there spoke well of him. So as we, if we look at 1 Timothy 3, verses 6 and 7, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, we must not, he, that is one who serves in leadership, he must not be a recent convert, or he, he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So Paul placed a huge value on time with men, on time which would allow these leaders, in this case Timothy, to show that, yes, he was acting in this way, and he was acting in this very consistently, that he had a servant's mind. 
and it was because of this servant's training. We, we, see, we see Paul, you know, you think about what Paul did as he grabbed Timothy, as Timothy was minding his own business, serving the way that he was being called in Derby and Lystra. You know, Paul grabbed him and took him on his missionary journeys with him. So how did that benefit Timothy? Well, just like with Jesus dealing with his disciples and spending each and every day with them, you know, uh, come and see and, and uh, walk with me and learn from me, so too with Paul and Timothy, Timothy would be doing and seeing the same thing from Paul, right? Because they were spending time together. Uh, I know that it's a different day and time today, but uh, as I was thinking through this, I thought, well, shoot, you know, this is similar to, to in, in part, to my experience as a Littite and, and even as a teenager, because growing up on the farm, I mean, it was very common you know, as a six or seven or eight-year-old to climb up into the seat in the uh, 46 Chevrolet truck that we had and uh, haul grain to market or in the spring, you know, haul, uh, haul seed grain from, from the seed plant or fertilizer. Or even if the machinery had broken, perish the thought, but if the machinery had broken, right, scramble into our 58 Chevrolet Del Rey alongside Dad and we'd go off to John Deere dealership or the International Harvester dealership, buy a part, etc. Well, what did that allow me to do? It allowed me, first off, to spend time with my dad, but even as a little guy, right, I was able to see how my dad interacted with other people. I was able to see how my dad dealt with challenging situations as well as other situations. I was able to, to learn from that, that, had that example. I was able to see him as we went to church. I was able to see how he interacted with people at church, how he showed love and respect to others how he at home read the Bible, at home how he, he led devotions for us as a family, etc. And that it's undeniable that in large part, the person I am today is because of those untold hours I spent with my father. Because I watched him, I saw him, he taught me, but it wasn't only the teaching, it was me watching. So too with Timothy and Paul. And as, as Paul talks about Timothy being his son and he being the father, it's the same situation, just like Christ and his disciples. Right? They learned from walking with Jesus. They learned from seeing Jesus in each and every situation that occurred on a day-by-day -day basis. So too with Timothy. He saw Paul each and every day, just like I saw my dad, essentially, each and every day as, as we did our work on, on the farm. So we, we saw that Timothy not only had a servant's mind, but he had a servant's teaching. So he understood from Paul and from the Holy Spirit what the things were that, that he was supposed to do and how he was supposed to do it. It's been said that experience without teaching, experience without teaching can lead to discouragement. And teaching without experience can lead to spiritual deadness. And it all falls back on that be no do comment, right? So we can know everything, but if we don't do anything, what good are we? And likewise, if we try doing stuff without knowing, we can be heading in, in the very, very wrong direction. So we saw Timothy's servant mind, his servant's teaching, but then also we see, in small part, Timothy's reward. And we can't know 
all of what Timothy's rewards were along the way. But he had to have had a joy in serving, right? You can't serve year in, year out, without having a joy in that serving. And if you look back at, uh, at, verse, 20, at verse 20, Paul says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, Paul didn't say, Timothy is concerned for your welfare, but he's a real grump about it, right? He didn't say that. And, and he said, he's generally concerned for your welfare. And it had to be because he was having joy. He was deriving joy from doing what he was doing, seeing the benefit of uh, that concern and acting out that concern for others. But he also, not only did he have the 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 reward of the joy, but he also had the reward of working side by side with Paul. And I, I bet it's true for each and every one of you that if you had a minute or two, or maybe even less time, maybe a second or two, and I ask you the question, whom would you like to work side by side with this afternoon on Project X, where you part, or even be with this afternoon? You come pretty quick to a person, and part of that would be because it would bring you joy. So too with Timothy, just working side by side with Paul had to bring him incredible joy, bring him incredible joy. But then, but then we see uh, something else uh, with, with a servant's reward as it applies to Timothy. And if, if you turn with me to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is the closing chapter of 2 Timothy, and, and 2 Timothy is thought to be and accepted as the, the last book that Paul wrote, the last epistle that Paul wrote uh, in the Bible uh, from his prison in Rome. It's kind of interesting because these are kind of the closing words of Paul. And imagine, if you will, Timothy reading this letter and what may be going through his head as he thinks about the gravity. So verse 1 of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of, and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teacher, teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So think about Timothy reading this, and what, you know, we don't know when Timothy read this, whether it was after Paul uh, had been executed or before Paul had died. We don't know. But in a sense, as we look at these verses in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, uh, of 2 Timothy, we see Paul handing the torchover to, to this uh, uh, 
photograph for this individual that he had spent his life building into it. And so there too, we see another reward for Timothy. Not only is it the joy of being obedient and serving, not only is it the joy of serving alongside and being with Paul, spending time with Paul, but it's also this joy of knowing that, hey, there's something, something's different now, and that I've got this, this reward. And I, I think about Timothy, I know for me, man, that was a huge responsibility. I'm not sure, wait a minute, Paul, this isn't what I really signed up for. But for Timothy, it was what he signed up for. Right? That's the heart. That's the mind that we see in Timothy. That's the heart that we see in Timothy. And ultimately, that's the reward that we see in Timothy. Before we go on to the, the second team member here besides Timothy, um, let's, let's look at what, what Paul says in verse 24. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Of course, we know that, that Paul did not come also to Philippi, and that, that he died. But just as Paul started out in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus, so too here, as he's having this little discussion about Timothy, he says, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So Paul has this expectation, but he puts the expectation, he puts his plans, he puts, puts the things that he hoped to do in the context of God's will in the context of God's will. He, you know, he, he doesn't know what, what God ultimately in his sovereignty will do, but he knows and he reflects in verse 19 and in verse 24 that he's got this hope that, uh, that the Lord will allow him to do this or that the Lord will cause the events that will make this happen. So we see also with Timothy that as we see him grow in the Bible, his servant's heart grows. His servant's heart grows. And of course, for those of us who, who think about servant leadership and wanting to mimic Christ and mimic Paul and indeed mimic Timothy, that servant leadership, whether in our home, whether at church, whether in our workplace, no matter where, right, no matter where it is, it begins with that servant's heart. And that servant's heart comes from, as we've talked through it here, the servant's mind, the servant's training, and then ultimately the servant's reward, right? the servant's heart. So let's take a look at Epaphroditus. So I commented about the team, right? I commented about the differences that make up a team. If you think about what Paul is kind of building here as it applies to the Philippians, Paul refers to himself as the Hebrew of Hebrews, right? That Paul was the Hebrew of Hebrews. We just talked about Timothy being half Jew, half Gentile. His mother was a Jewish woman. His father was a Greek. Epaphroditus, from everything we know, was, was, a, was a Greek, right? He was a Gentile. And so you look at these three men that Paul, uh, that that God is using for the church in Philippi, and they're all very different, right? They're all very different men. But, but let's, let's look a little bit uh, how Paul refers to Epaphroditus. So we'll start with verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your minister, messenger and minister to my need. Um, 
I didn't go back and listen to the sermons for Philippians chapter 1. But it's interesting because as you look at how Paul describes Epaphroditus, he calls him my brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier. If we go back to chapter 1, verse 4, always in every prayer, whoa, I made a mistake, that's not it. Ah, it's verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul is referring to the Philippian church as being partners with him for the gospel, right? And you've got this, this partnership, this fellowship. Some of you may have fellowship in there instead of partnership, right? And so as Paul describes Epaphroditus, his first point about Epaphroditus being his brother in a sense, refers back to this partnership or this fellowship with the gospel. Uh, and then later on in chapter 1, in verse 12, Paul says to the Philippian church, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So, or some of your Bibles may, may say the furtherance of the gospel. So you have the, the advancement, the furtherance of the gospel a fellow worker, as he describes Epaphroditus, a fellow worker in the advancement and the furtherance of the gospel. And then lastly, if we look at verse 27 in chapter 1, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I hear of you that are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And he refers to, to Epaphroditus as his fellow soldier, striving for the faith of the gospel, the purity of the gospel, the spreading of the gospel. So we see Paul describing Epaphroditus in amazingly similar terms as he talked to the Philippian church back in chapter 1 of what he saw with the Philippian church. And so we see that, that Epaphroditus is a very balanced Christian. Right? He's balanced in the sense of fellowship, together with the advance of the gospel, together, to, which, of course, is evangelism, together with the, the preservation of the faith of the gospel, right? the purity of the knowledge of the gospel. And so we see Epaphroditus being described by Paul as this balanced individual. So as we think about ourselves, right? as we think about ourselves, there too, it's important for us to be balanced, not only as individuals, but also as a church as a church. Uh, as we look at these three things, of course, we all love fellowship. And I'm going to be talking about an event on Tuesday. That's a fellowship event, right? We all love fellowship. We all love spending time with each other. But think about it. If the church spends so much time on fellowship, it could easily fall away from the mission of the church in spreading the gospel or the mission of the church in having the purity of the gospel, keeping keeping the word and keeping the teaching pure. So too, the other, other parts are true as well as we think about balance, right? So if we spend all of our time teaching, it's possible that we let fellowship fall away. It's entirely possible we let evangelism fall away if we spend all of our time teaching. So it's important to be balanced in, in these regards. Uh, Henry Ironside told the story of a group of believers who really, really had an emphasis on fellowship. And it was interesting because the way he tells the story is they had a sign on their meeting place that read, Jesus only. 
Well, it turns out there was a windstorm. And a few of the letters blew away. The letters being the J-E-F. And so their new sign read, Us Only. Right? And if you think about a church, as it loses its balance, when you get to the point where you're only worried about us, us inside the walls of the church, uh, you got a problem, right? you got a problem. And uh, it could be the beginning of the end. You certainly aren't delivering on the mission that Christ gives us in his word. So Jesus only or us only, right? It should be, should be the Jesus only part. And so uh, as we look at Epaphroditus, he was not that way. He was balanced. Paul described him as, as understanding the need for fellowship, understanding the need for the advancement of the gospel, that is evangelism, but then also understanding the need for the purity of the gospel and keeping it pure. We also see in these verses, as, as Paul describes Epaphroditus, we see that he was a burdened Christian. Verse uh, 26. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. But I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So Epaphroditus had this burden for people. He was a burdened Christian. He had this burden for, excuse me, his home church, because he had come from Philippi. He'd been sent from Philippi to minister to Paul in prison in Rome. But you know, we see in verse 26, he's been longing for you. And then Paul says even more. Right? And part of it is because he's been ill, and he knows you know he's been ill, and he doesn't want you to worry about him. And so he does not want to burden you. So he, he's a, a burdened Christian. But even here, even here, in verse 27, Paul says, but God had mercy on him. And so as Paul, as he talked in, in verse 19, about God's will, as he talks about in verse 24, about God's will, so here too, he, he acknowledges and recognizes that, uh, that God is the one that had mercy on Epaphroditus. But then we also see that Epaphroditus is a Christian that blesses those around him. He blesses those around him just by the way he is. Uh, we see this blessing both in verse 25, as Epaphroditus came from Philippi to minister and to, to bless Paul. So Paul acknowledges that. But then also in verse 28, where, where he makes the comment, I'm more eager to send him so that you may rejoice at seeing him and that I may be less anxious. And so we see, we see Paul with Epaphroditus and watching Epaphroditus and knowing that that there are many ways that Epaphroditus will be blessing those around him. He, he, throws, he throws another tidbit as he, Paul throws in another tidbit here as he talks about Epaphroditus and as he talks about sending him back to the church at Philippi. Verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Now, why would Paul do that? Why would Paul do that? Why would he say, receive him with all joy and honor such men? Well, if we go to 1 Thessalonians, so clearly Epaphroditus had given of himself, had set aside all the stuff that he had going on back in Philippi, you know, all the, 
whatever it was, you know, his, his occupation, whatever it might have been, his family, uh, he clearly had some sort of a family, whatever it might be, he set all that aside to come and minister to Paul. And so Paul is encouraging the Philippians to, to, honor, to honor him. If we look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul, in, in this point, makes a comment as he's closing out 1 Thessalonians. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of your work. So one of the themes that Paul has as he talks about laborers, uh, Christian laborers, laborers in the church, is that he wants the body to honor and to show esteem to those that labor in the church. Uh, it's been said that uh, Christ gets the glory, but there's nothing wrong with the servant receiving honor. And that's, that's something that we all should think about as we, as we sit you know, in, in, our, in our pews, in our chairs at church, as we, as we send our, our kids to wherever they're going in the back here, right, and, and the, minister, the ministering that they are receiving. Uh, we need to honor those that, that minister from the top down, right, from the top, top down in the church. God, God has ordained that. God has said that. So let's let's remember and, and think about think about that as well. So, what should we take away from these verses in chapter two? There are, there are three things. There are three things that I'd like you to think about and and uh, spend spend some time this week considering. The first one is as we look at Timothy and as we look at Epaphroditus and indeed Paul, right? Keep your reputation solid. Keep your reputation solid. We saw that with Timothy. We saw that with, Rep with Epaphroditus and, of course, also with Paul. We, uh, we used to tell our kids, don't besmirch the family name. Right? Don't besmirch the family name. Actually, now i got to watch out because I'm the one that is more likely to besmirch the family name than my kids are. But don't besmirch the family name. But it goes further than that, right? Because it's not only the family name, but it's also the individual. Right? So, so keep your reputation solid. And I would say the same thing for the Vineyard Community Church, right? There is a certain sense that we need to make sure we keep our collective reputation solid as well. Our ministry individually will be impacted and collectively as a church will be impacted if our reputation isn't solid. So keep your reputation solid. The second thing, serve others, right? That's what chapter two has really been all about, right? Knowing the mind of Christ, thinking of others better than yourself, and then acting. And then we see that exemplified in Timothy and in Epaphroditus. So keep your reputation solid, serve others. And the third thing is, as Paul mentioned many times, do all that you do within God's will. Submit the plans you have to God's divine will. So those are the three things. And so think about those three things and I, I encourage you to, to, uh, to act. Right, to act. So let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for blessing us with the words that 
the Holy Spirit gave to Paul as recorded and uh, given to us in these letters. We recognize that while each one of Paul's letters was written to a specific person or a specific church for a specific reason, all of these inspired words are for us today as well. And I pray that I and each one of my friends here would, would seek to uh, keep our reputation strong, would seek to serve others, and would seek to do all the planning as we do these things uh, under the subjugation of your divine will. Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the time that you give us with each other and the special time you give us dedicated to, to thinking and learning and, and uh, uh, understanding more of what you want us to be and do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so just a couple of announcements today. Uh, one of the things that I'd like you all to remember and to to uh, remember in prayer as the week goes on, as our students over on the east side of town, as they serve and minister and have fun as they serve, have the joy of Timothy as they serve. Remember them in prayer for safety and for impact. So that's one thing. And, and for those of you uh, with students, remember to go out to RedeemerCommunity.life for the complete schedule of all the things that are going on with student ministry this summer. And then coming up on Tuesday, we have another face-to-face at the Remliners. And this is a ladies' event, a fellowship event, and it's intended to be an intentional uh, event. So if you have any questions that you would like to be to have discussed, send them off to Mary Remliner, and she will provide all the answers. So uh, be, be sure to uh, be sure to do that. And and also, I, I don't know Mary if it's required, but I noticed that there's also a place on Community.life for them to register. So if you do that, I hear I see a head nodding. So. Ladies, if you would go out to uh, RedeemerCommunity.life and register for the event, it will help Mary and others in planning for the number of ladies that come. Okay. So, uh, one more thing. As God in his sovereignty took his people out of Egypt, intending them to go to the promised land in relatively short order, he spent some time in the desert talking to Moses, instructing Moses, and Moses instructed Aaron uh, to do X, Y, and Z, right? And for the people to do A, B, and C. One of the things that he gave to Moses at Sinai for Moses to give to Aaron was the Aaronic blessing, a benediction. And for thousands of years, thousands of years, this blessing has been used when people leave a place of worship, a place of fellowship, etc. And so what I'd like to do today is to do that very thing. And so I would ask you all to rise to receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. See you next week.